Evening, church. It is um, good to be back with you all. If you didn't know, um, or if you have been following my Instagram story on our Oikos web Instagram page, you would know that me and a few other people were in a team to Indonesia, and and I'm so glad to be back in to worship with you all to be in a place of family. I love it when I come here and, and during the worship when sometimes your voice chokes up because you're just getting really emotional and sometimes when you just stop singing altogether and you're praying, like I love that type of atmosphere. Um, and my goal as a pastor is not for you to go out of any service saying, oh, that's a great service, but to go out of service saying, oh, how good was God? How great was God? And for God to look down and he himself judge for himself that, hey, Oikos Church, that was something else. This this is the worship that I like. This is the worship that is pleasant to me. And I believe Oikos Church, you are doing that. Keep that up. Keep that up. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Our passage tonight will mainly be based on that. Luke 21, verses 1 to 4. To four. And if you're there, then you would travel back in time with me to this scene. You look around you, there's crowds of people coming in and out of the temple. You see the priests with their long robes carrying out their duties. You're in Jerusalem, the most holy place of Jerusalem, which is the temple. And you're in the temple courts. You, the, it's, it's this part called the court of the women. Why is it called the court of the women? It's because women are actually allowed to be there as well. This is the place where they collect the offering. You would also know the court of the woman was where Jesus also preached the sermon that I am the light of the world. So in this court of the woman, there's actually four huge pillars that light up Jerusalem by night. But by daytime, again, remember I said this is the place where people come, where women and men will come and place their offering. As you're observing the crowd, you see in the corner, you see a man, he's, he's sitting down. And with his usual crew of 12, they're just sitting down there. This is Jesus. As he sits down, he looks up. And he starts staring into the direction where people are placing their offering. He's not saying anything yet, but he's just staring. And because you're curious, you're following Jesus, what are you staring at? And you're following his, his eyesight. And there you have it. You land at the offering place where there's about 13 offering boxes. And on top of these offering boxes are chauffeurs, these trumpet horn-like offering type of thing, that's what they used back then where you place your money down and it rolls into that chauffeur and it, and it goes down into the, the, the box. You see, many people line up putting in their offering. But then you're seeing Jesus is actually staring at this woman who's, who's in rags. And as she comes towards this offering place, she seems very out of place at the moment. And you hear one clank and two clanks. Then you hear our Lord speaks. This poor widow has put more than everyone else. They, put, they gave out of their wealth, 
but she gave out of her poverty. She had put all she had to live on. And as you turn and you relook at Jesus, contrary to what you might think, you might think he'd be smiling right now, but he's not. There's a frown on his face. It seems like he's sad, almost angry. What's going on? But before we find out what's going on, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you are here. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. And your Holy Spirit is the great teacher. Lord, we pray that you help us understand this passage, that we see you tonight. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you hear this story, you might be thinking tonight, Oh, here goes another message on sacrificial giving. And you'd be right to expect that. Because after all, when this story is told and when this sermon is presented, it's usually about getting the congregation to give more. You'd be perfectly right to expect that. But, it's, but this is one of the texts that's really interesting. Because if you just look at this text as it is, it would look like something else, but when you step back and look at it in its context, it will look totally like something else, like something totally different. And why did I describe the scene where Jesus is not smiling, but he has a frown instead? Why did I say that? How, how did I come to that? Well, let me give you an, a lesson on Exegesis 101. You just look at the passage before it, and you look at the passage after it. Now, why is the context important? Now, why do I always stress and always give you the context when I preach? Because if I say, Sam and Max is getting a new family member, and if that's all I said, you'd be guessing. Okay, is Sam and Max, who's Sam and Max? Do we have Sam and Max here? Is Sam stand for Samuel or Sam stand for Samantha? Is Max stand for Maxwell or Max stand for Maxie? Are they husband and wife? Who's the husband? Who's the wife? Are they getting a new family member as in a new baby? Because Oikos Church has just a bunch of babies right now. Or is their new family member a puppy? Or Sam and Max could be brothers or sisters and they're just getting another sibling. This is why context is important or else you're just going to keep guessing and you don't know what the intention of the text is. And by knowing the context, it will enrich the passage that you are looking at. So church, whenever any guest speaker or me preach, always look us up. Read the passage before and read the passage after. And so when you get to the story in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, where does it fit in the gospel timeline? Now let me tell you, it's on a Tuesday. Smack bang on Passion Week. Now, if you're new to church and you don't know what Passion Week is, Passion Week is the ending, the conclusion of Jesus' three-year ministry. It's pretty much his very last week before he dies on the cross. And so this is on the Tuesday. So he is three days away from being accused, arrested, tortured, and crucified. Now, keep that information at the back of your head. The cross is on the horizon. 
And let me tell you a little bit before this Tuesday, because on the Sunday, when this Passion Week all started, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's his ride. That's his horse. That's his Mustang. That song, I can't sing it at the moment. But that's his ride. He's riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem, and people are going nuts. People are celebrating. They're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna which means save now, save now. And others are yelling, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. And they're giving Jesus this grand welcome. If this was me, I'd be like, man, this is the red carpet treatment. This is awesome. Because nowadays, when you look at the airport, they're only welcoming... thing that people give is probably just a card like welcome back or, or welcome or, or, or your name and that's about it. But Jesus is having people chopping down palms, throwing beneath his feet, taking off their clothes, their cloak and putting it beneath his feet to, to make him a carpet so he, that he can walk and enter the city. You would think that Jesus would be smiling. You would think that Jesus would be, I know, a little, a little flattered. But when you read the Bible, Luke 19, verse 41, it says, As Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. He wept over it. Very different from what you see in the Hollywood movies, huh? Or what Sunday school teachers tell you, huh? He's not happy. He's weeping. He's grieving. He's crying. He's, he's heartbroken. And then he continues to say, if you, even if you have known that this day would bring you peace, but it's hidden from your eyes, this day will come when your enemies would siege against you, encircle you, hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. There will not be one stone left standing because you do not recognize the Lord is coming to you. Oh, that's some doom and gloom. Like, Jesus, they, they're just welcoming you. But, but why are you like this? That's the Sunday. And then historically on the Monday, Jesus arrives at the temple. And you know what he finds at the temple courts? Markets, tables, people selling stuff in the temple like it's a marketplace. And you know what Jesus does? He gets really angry and he starts flipping tables. And he's driving out all businesses. Merchants can't get their goods in, can't get their goods out. Jesus just put the business on full stop. And then he says this. Luke 19 verse 46. My house, my father's house is a house of prayer, but you, you have turned it into a den of thieves. Then he stops all that activity. Then on the Tuesday, he goes back to the temple that he's cleared the last day and he starts teaching all these principles and all these parables. And then there was teachers of the law, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees came to challenge him with a whole bunch of questions, not to learn off him, but to entrap him, to accuse him of something. But as they try to dim his limelight of authority because he's just on fire right now, 
Jesus just answers their question with another question that they can't answer. And then this is what they say in Luke 20, verse 39. Some of the teachers of the law responded, well, teacher, touche. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. And because these teachers of the law couldn't beat Jesus on a verbal debate, they're going to result to violence. They're going to fabricate some case so that the Romans could arrest him and kill him. And as the Jewish leaders finally quiet down, they're kind of a little bit out of the picture now. Jesus is sitting down and he continues to speak. Luke 20, verse 45. We're getting very close to our passage. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in their flowing robes. They love to be greeted in the marketplace. They like to have the most important seats in the synagogue and the place of honor at banquet tables. Verse 47. Now listen to this. They devour widows' houses. They devour widows' houses. And for show they make lengthy prayers. Such men will surely be punished severely. And then we get to our Bible's Today's reading, Luke 21, verses 1 to 4, and it's a little bit of segment about this widow giving in her two coins. And right after that, verse 5 onwards, I'll paraphrase it for you, but I hope that you can go home and read the rest of the chapter because there's no point for me as your pastor just to spoon feed you every week. You need to go home and read the Bible for yourself. This is what happens, verse 5 onwards. Then the disciples were just talking about, wow, look at how awesome this temple is. It looks beautiful. There's so much precious jewels and, and all these gifts, all dedicated towards God. How awesome is this? And then Jesus turns around and he says, no, no. God is not pleased with this. All this that you see has to go. There will be no stone left standing. There it is again. There will be no stone left standing. He said this at the beginning of his Passion Week and we see it again here. Now that I've given you the big picture, do you see what's happening here? And Jesus doesn't lie with his prophecy because in 78 AD, the Romans did come and they lay siege and they lay waste to the temple of Jerusalem. They burnt it down to the ground. And I know I gave you a huge information dump. I'll give you a little bit of time just to think about everything. So the beginning of the Passion Week, Jesus already said there will come a time where there be no stone left standing. He's talking about the temple. That's the beginning. And here we have it. He says it again. There will be no stone left standing. But inside that full picture, there's this little segment of a widow giving her two coins. Why is it even there? Why is that little passage that we are reading tonight and we are exploring there? Could it be and usually how this is actually preached uh, by many speakers, could it be that Jesus was giving us a sense of true worship in the midst of false worship that is dominated in the temple right now? 
Could it be that Jesus is pointing out there's a little beauty in the midst of ugliness or a little bit of purity in the midst of corruption or a little bit of light in the midst of darkness? Or could the lesson here be God does not measure by how much you give, but by how he measures you by how much you have left. Or maybe it's actually not about the amount, but it's about giving the percentage. Could this lesson be about self-denial? Is it about giving until it hurts? Or is it a lesson about trusting that God will provide? Or my favorite proposed lesson is, Jesus watches, watches you when you give. So you better watch out. That's my favorite lesson. But if, those, if that story was really any of those teachings that I just mentioned before, because, and in the bigger picture, looking at it, 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 it doesn't make sense to me. It, it just doesn't. So imagine this. Jesus is proclaiming, I'm going to burn this house down, but get in your ties. Get in your offering before I blow this place up. Doesn't make sense. In its context, it doesn't make sense if, it's, if the lessons were those that I mentioned. Why? Because this passage was never about us giving to God especially in the context where Jesus is rebuking a corrupt religious system that needs to go. And another reason why I don't think this passage is about us giving to God is every time Jesus wants to point something out and for us to copy that or do that, he will say, go and do likewise. Or the kingdom of heaven is like, but you don't see any of that there. You don't see no commentary from him that he says the rich were bad, the widow was good. There was no comment on the attitude. The rich had a bad attitude and was stingy, but the widow, she had a good attitude and she trusts God. None of that. Jesus doesn't comment why they gave. Was it obligatory or was it out of their love for God? Does not say that. Does not say anything about that. But what I can show you is what the Bible does say. And just the verse before that is, Jesus is saying, beware of the scribes and Pharisees because they devour widows' houses. And then you have a live example of a widow giving in her last two coins all that she has to live on and now she has nothing left. Then he goes on to say, this system has to go. Do you see that in the big picture now? And you don't see this in the English, but you can see this in the Greek, and you just have to trust me with the Greek, or you can go home and look up, Google this passage and the lexicon, and you'll see this. When Jesus mentions this poor widow, when he mentions the rich, it's not actually like filthy rich, like they're rolling in cash and in Mercedes and, and stuff. No, no. When Jesus mentions the rich, it's just, it just means, it's just a bad translation that we, we got. It's just, they had enough. People had enough, but they, they gave out of what they had, but they still have something left over. But this widow in verse 2, when Jesus first described her, he uses the poor word, which is Pentecost, which she is poor, 
but she's not the most bottom poor. But then after her saga of giving the two coins, Jesus uses a different word to describe her. So instead of Pentecost, he now calls her Petrokos, which is the lowest poor. Because she gave, she went from here to down there. And then he says, everyone else gave out of their surplus. They still have enough remaining. But her, she gave out of her bios, which is her life. Jesus is actually, he's actually giving her life away. And now she's going to die. That's the connotation in the Greek. No wonder why I come to the conclusion that Jesus was not smiling but frowning. Because these religious leaders are abusing the poor building, their temple building, their lifestyle off the back of the poor. Now just imagine for yourself, you love someone dearly and they start investing in get-rich-quick schemes. They don't have much, but they gave all they have into some shady healing product. Or, and you know they're getting conned. You know they're getting scammed. They're giving to a den of thieves. They're investing into something like Bitcoin. How would you feel? You want to stop them, right? You won't encourage them. You will probably be angered and you, you'll probably be thinking that system has to go. Why? Because God is more concerned that people are being taken care of, provided for. The system that has developed in Judaism at that time was abusing people, which is disobedience to God and dishonoring to God. For example, in Matthew chapter 15, again, go home and read that. The Pharisees were very angry with Jesus because Jesus never rolls with them. Jesus keeps not being on the same page. Jesus just get with the program, but he says no. He keeps breaking the tradition that they made up, breaking the, the rules that they made up, and this is how Jesus rebukes them. Why do you break the command of God for the sakes of your tradition? So they have put their little set of rules, their tradition above God's law. And he talks about, for God said, God commanded, honor your father and mother. You're meant to take care of them because if you don't, you're meant to be put to death. But you guys, you guys created a little loophole for yourselves saying, oh, I can't take care of my mom and dad because I've given that money to the Lord. And you let your mom and dad live in destitution. That's what the people was like at that time. That's what the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders have created. People were not being taken care of. People were being abused. Now, this didn't happen just in Judaism, but in the early church as well. It happened in the Catholic church in the Renaissance period, or I should say it more French, Renaissance. <laughs> Known at the universal church at that time, they did well, they were good, but then they started building these massive cathedrals. And they were getting money off something called indulgences and penance, which pretty much means, hey, you sinned, it's okay. You can give me this amount and we'll forgive your sins. And here's another crazy thing that I read out. Hey, 
Your parents, they weren't baptized and they've passed away. Oh, no. You know what? You can pay us a certain amount of money and we can baptize them in hell that they will have a chance to ascend into heaven. That's what the Catholic Church was doing back then. And because of that, Martin Luther, the spark of the Great Reformation, read the Bibles in Roman and he's like, nah, that's not in the Bible. And out of his reaction started the Protestant movement. But still today in our Protestant movement, corruption has still sneaked in. In our 20th, 1st century church. Now, not all churches are bad, like this one. This one's awesome. (laughs) But there are other churches out there, their pastor would preach something called the prosperity gospel or the seed-like theology type of faith. Hey, if you give right now, God would take your money and he will multiply it tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. Or if you give right now and help me get my jet plane, he will give you protection, salvation, more health, more wealth. Oh, look, I have a testimony right here to prove it. Things like that you will see on TV. And the statistic shows, and guess who's the largest giver to this group of people? They're actually single women. Desperate for healing. Desperate for more money. They're desperate for health. And what these teachers are now offering, this is the new one, a spouse. So why am I preaching this passage? It's not about us giving to God. But I don't, I have to be careful here, but I don't want you to come up with excuses. Okay, Pastor Dexter say, I don't need to give at all because these doors will shut down. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of scripture and passages out there that encourage the Christian to give into the ministry of the church, to invest into the church. And it's just not Luke 21 verses 1 to 4. It's just not. Sure, if you go read Malachi chapter 3, sure, if you go read the story of the rich young ruler where Jesus actually says, hey, go sell all your possession and give it to, not the church, the poor. And, but then he didn't, and then he walks away sad. And then Peter puffs up his chest and goes, but Lord, we gave up everything to follow you. How great are we? And then Jesus says, whoa, 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 Peter, calm down. Calm down. It's, it's, it's not about you giving to me. You have no idea what you're going to receive. So here's the point of my sermon. It's not about us giving to God, but it's always been about God giving to us. It's always been about God giving to us. Heaven will never be about, oh, look at that. Look at that Dexter. Look how handsome he is. And never in all eternity have I seen someone tithe, not 10%, but 11%. Oh, I'm going to come down to his house and bless this little slugger. No. It's never, heaven's never been about that. Heaven and all its heavenly hosts is always about God. You're giving them. 
the jewel of heaven? You're giving them, them this? You're giving them your son? You're giving them yourself? They have no idea how precious this gift is. Church, it's never been about me. It's never been about you. It's always been about God. The whole context, the big picture about this is the temple's destruction. Physical stones will not stand. But you know where else Jesus mentions about the temple? He relates it to himself. He says, destroy this temple, but I will raise it up in three days. The cornerstone that these builders reject will be the only stone that will ever stand in all of eternity. So we have this passage in this context, but in the gospel story, where does it fit in the gospel story? And the gospel is all about the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. Even though Jesus destroys the temple, he's still very much for the temple. Why? Because for the temple... It was a place where people gathered to worship God. It was a place, but it's no longer going to be a place, but it's going to be a person. People are going to gather around a person to worship. And Jesus is still very much for religion. But this is the religion that he likes. James chapter 1 verse 27. He says, A religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from polluting, getting polluted from the world. Maybe this is why after Jesus died and rose again, after his disciples got the Holy Spirit, this is why the believers started just selling everything they had. And you know what? They started giving to those in need and they started sharing their wealth around. In Acts chapter 6, the disciples sets up a ministry specifically for the widows. Why? Because the, the disciples probably knew God always sided with the poor. I found 93 different passages how God commanded the people in the Old Testament to take care of the poor, take care of the orphans and widows, that he is a father to the fatherless and he is the defender of widows. And then towards the New Testament, Jesus Christ, our Lord, identifies with the poor. Says this in Matthew 25, the last judgment, as Jesus was sitting on his throne, as people came in, God looks at the throne and he says, I was hungry, you never fed me. I was thirsty, you never gave me something to drink. I was in prison, I was naked, you never did anything for me. Depart from me. And people were like, but Lord, when? When? And Jesus says, when you rejected them, you rejected me. I'm not saying that if you love the poor, you'd be saved, but I'm saying, what I'm saying is, if you are saved, if you do call yourself a Christian, you would have some concern for the poor. You would. You would love them. You would love the brother and sister who is in need. Here is why I'm so proud of our church. 
is we do have an organization called AOC, Australian Oikos Care. Oikos Care, butchered the name. <laughs> we were able, as a team, to go visit two out of the six schools that we had. Um, it's going to be eight schools next year. It's these schools that are built around the slums, the most poorest of parts. And this has always been the vision of our senior pastor, who is also the founder, Pastor Daniel, is that to give these kids an education and, and a dream, and that they hope, and he hopes that they get to know Jesus one day. And so this organization started, and they're buying lands in Muslim, the poorest Muslim communities. <laughs> He's very sneaky, our senior pastor. And we got to visit two of the schools, two out of the six schools. Um, I'm going to talk about the second school that we visited. Um, Sahan, can you show them the video? So that was the scene. And the school was built right next to it. So you can just walk out of the school's door and there you have it. Mountain, a mountain of rubbish. I'll tell you my journey that day. We nearly died. but Traffic in Jakarta, horrible. <laughs> That's besides the point. I remember just bracing myself for visiting the school. I knew it's going to be a rubbish dump. I thought it was just some hills, but no, they call it mountains. And that was only one of the mountains, one of the five mountains that you saw. I was bracing myself for the smell. I remember getting closer towards, and we can see those rubbish mountains in the horizon. I made sure our windows were up. Because when we opened the the door, I'm not going to lie to you, I nearly gagged. I was like, bleh, bleh. Did some of those. I saw a little black blob on the ground. When I walked closer to it, it was like a hundred flies. Just started scattering. I'm like, oh. The smell was awful. You're so blessed that we haven't recorded smell yet. (laughs) But when we got to the school, something happened within me. I forgot about the smell. I forgot about the smell because I saw the kids smile. They're all smiling so brightly, and, and the team can testify about this. We didn't even think about the smell. We didn't even think about the trash or the dirt. All we saw was treasure, God's little treasures. And what we found out is that these teachers, they pray for these kids morning, at, at the beginning of the day, and at night. And they were telling us stories on, on how when these kids first came to school because their parents were scavengers, they, if you ask them before they came to the school, was, hey, what do you want to become when you grow up? And you know what they would say? They would say, I want to be like my parent. I want to be like my mom, be like my dad, just collecting rubbish. But now if you ask them, they will answer you, I want to become a policeman, I want to become a soldier in the army and serve Indonesia. I want to become a doctor. I want to become a teacher. 
what happened was these kids are finally be able to dream a little. And there is also a chance that they get to know our Lord Jesus Christ because this is a Christian school. That's what AOC does. This is the mission of AOC. And AOC is just one of the ministry of Oikos Church. We are here to serve our community. We are here to serve the poor. You know, 10% of our income since the beginning days where we, when we started last year, since the very beginning, 10% of that goes toward local missions. That's overseas mission. Local mission is already 10%. We want to serve the community. We want to be salt and light. We want to be a church that is a religion that is pleasing to our Lord to take care of the fatherless and to take care of the widows. There's a lot of single mum these days. That's one of our missions here at Oikos Church. And I thank you. I thank you, those of you who are generous to this church, who gives in, who gives week in, week out, faithfully giving. I thank you. Because we cannot continue to do this without you. But when you really get to the bottom of everything, when you get down to the root of it, there's the reason why I think you are giving is because you know that you cannot outgive God. But God, on the other hand, has sent his son on this planet for us to give us freedom, to break away our chains, to destroy strongholds, that, that, is, that, that, we, that the sins in our lives are forgiven. We were once slaves. He brings us to freedom from life to death and he gives us his very own life. So I'll ask the band to come up now as I close. So if I could find a principle or a lesson out of Luke 21 verses 1 to 4, Again, like I said, it's never been about us giving. It's always been about God giving to us. We can't puff up our chest and say, hey, look, look, Jesus or God, I'm the lady. I'm the one that's given it my all. No, 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 no. We can't take that place of the widow. Because you know who does? Jesus is. Jesus does. In 2 Corinthians, Jesus says, the Bible says, Though he, Jesus, was rich for our sake, became poor. Now in that passage, when it's the word rich is used, it's not rich that he just had enough. No, no. He was very, very the highest rich in abundance. But for our sake became poor, which is the word Patrol costs, which is the very lowest of poor. So this widow, yes, even though she went from poor to very poor, Jesus went from the highest place. He gave up his throne. He gave up his dwelling. He gave up. Always being with his father. For our sake, became poor because on that cross, God turned away from his son. 
And in return, He accredits to us His righteousness and He becomes our sin. It's always been about, it's Jesus that gives us His all. And in response to that, for me, I'm going to give into this house because I believe Oikos Church is a church that doesn't take my money and abuse the poor. No, we're here to serve the poor. I believe that Oikos Church is a church, is a place that right now, and on my watch as the pastor, I'm going to make sure that we don't become lovers of money, that we don't become corrupt. Help me and keep me accountable. And one day I hope to come into the presence of our Lord and know that the money that I gave was not wasted, but was used to spread the name of Jesus. It was used to glorify Jesus. God bless you, church.